Good morning. Good morning. Is this on here? Is it coming through the microphone? There we go. Okay. Okay. Good. Let's uh, let's let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Father, my prayer is that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in Your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned in an email earlier this week, today's sermon differs from the norm. Uh, today I'm sharing what I'm calling the, the State of the Church Address. And there's nothing like uh, announcing that ahead of time to drive attendance numbers down. I'm sure that's, I'm sure that's not the case. Uh, there is quite a bit of sickness and quarantining and the bad weather this morning. But Lord willing, one way or another, uh, the message will get out to our, our people. Now, if, there, if there's anyone here, and I know there's at least a few, if there's anyone here who hasn't heard me preach before, uh, you should realize that this is, this is not a, a typical sermon for me at all. Uh, typically, we open up to a particular passage and read five or ten or twenty verses, and then I take time to carefully walk through the passage and explaining it and, and applying it. And I do that out of conviction because it re really is uh, the best way to hear God's Word to us by seeing it unfold one passage at a time. And that's what we want to be. We want to be a, a people who are governed and shaped by the authoritative and transformative Word of God. But I do think that it's appropriate for a pastor from time to time to speak pastorally and reflectively to the church family in order to take stock of where we are at and to give specific encouragement for the next leg of the journey. In fact, if you read through the New Testament, uh, sometimes that's what the authors of the New Testament were doing. Paul, for example, would, would, would consider the particular situation going on in, in one of the churches and he would write a very personal and specific letter addressing those circumstances. Now, of course, when Paul did that, what, 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 what the Lord gave through him <laughs> is authoritative Scripture. And, and, and what, what comes through me this morning is not authoritative Scripture. But nevertheless, I think there's, that, there's that, that place for pastoral reflection and Lord willing, it will be helpful and encouraging to us. I've organized my thoughts around three categories. First, celebrating God's grace in our midst. Second, encouraging us to grow in particular areas. And third, reminding us to keep first things first. To begin with, I would like to say how, how blessed I am to serve as the pastor here. Charlotta and I felt the tug to partner with you back in August of 2017 and one month later you invited us to come and two months after that we did come and officially started December 1st 2017 can you believe that 
49 months have passed since, since uh, that start date. Charlotta is not fond of the New England cold. That much is true. But, but what, is, what is clear is that you are not cold. You, you, you have consistently demonstrated uh, a warm-heartedness uh, toward, toward us, toward our family, and indeed toward one another. And warm-hearted love is a hallmark of true Christianity. And you demonstrate such love in many ways. Love that is distinctly Christian is, in fact, the fruit of Christian faith. It is, it is the nature of faith in Jesus to express itself in the form of love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. It says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. When, when God births you into His redeemed family, you, you, you develop an instinctive and special love for the other members of that redeemed family. Believing in Jesus, loving the Father, loving the Father's kids, that's where it's at. The only thing of great consequence, Paul assures us, is faith working through love. Galatians 5.6 As I celebrate God's grace in our midst, I want to do so by calling attention to four areas. The first two I've already mentioned, but I'm going to expand upon them a little. The first two are faith and love. When Paul wrote his second letter to the believers in Thessalonica, he said, in 2 Thessalonians 1.3, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Faith growing and love increasing. That's the ticket. Now, regarding faith, one of the primary ways that our faith in Jesus is nurtured and strengthened is through active engagement with God's Word. Followers of Jesus are known by their regular practice of gathering together around the Word of God to nurture faith like those early Christians in Acts chapter 2 who devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Acts 2.42 That is what we do if we are Christians. And so it is encouraging to me it's encouraging to see interest and attentiveness and appreciation for the Word of God proclaimed in the worship service. It is encouraging to see small groups of people gathering together at different times in order to interact over God's Word. Sunday school and the Monday morning counterpart, the Monday evening ladies study, the Wednesday morning ladies study, the Wednesday afternoon Bible study that meets six months out of the year, the youth group, and probably other examples could be given. Of course, it's not enough to hear and understand God's Word. We must also be diligent to put it into practice as Pete reminded us in last week's sermon. Jesus taught us that the truly blessed ones are those who hear the Word of God and keep it. Luke 11.28 
Even so, hearing and understanding the Scriptures, digging into and discussing God's Word, talking about and treasuring the instruction of the Lord is a necessary and wonderful part of our fellowship with Jesus and with one another. And so, I say, press on. And when faith is growing, love will be increasing. The heart that is expanding in its fellowship with God will be enlarging in its capacity to demonstrate grace and kindness to others. If one isn't happening, then the other isn't happening. True biblical love is a desire for someone else's well-being that expresses itself in practical action. Biblical love is not robotic action void of feeling, but genuine care that cares enough to do something helpful. To say something helpful. To give something helpful. Love desires to build up and bless others. Paul wrote in Philippians 2, 3, and 4, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, when love is present within the church family, you will see it because love is visible. But you will only see a slice of it. Why just a slice? Because if people are loving each other in practical ways throughout the week, if people are calling each other and messaging each other and encouraging each other and running errands for each other and serving each other and making meals for each other and sending cards to each other and inviting people over for dinner and blessing each other with thoughtful gifts, if this is happening, how much of it are you going to actually see? Only a little bit, right? But do, do you see that little bit which is visible to you? Do you see specific instances of, of people loving one another? I have seen and heard about demonstrations of love taking place among us. And therefore, I assume that it is happening on a wider scale. I remember, uh, maybe it was... Uh, year and a half ago or so, uh, Jerry had come over to help us out to do a, do a little project for us at the house, and I was sharing that with somebody else, and, 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 and the question came, now was he, was, he, was he doing that? Was he doing that for you because you're the pastor? And I said, not, no, not Jerry. He'll, he'll do it for anybody. And, 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 that, and that's, that's the spirit that we, we see within our congregation where there's, there's practical love going out in many different directions. And so keep, keep folding people into your lives until their concerns become your concerns. Keep lingering after the worship service in order to connect with each other. Keep, keep offering yourself and your time and your resources for the benefit of others. Keep opening up your heart and life and home to others until they feel like the family that they are in Christ. Where there is faith, there is also love. And where there is love, people will step up to serve. And this is the third area I want to call attention to. Service. One very particular expression of love and faithfulness is the willingness to serve alongside one another in church-based ministry. And I want to be very careful here. 
I'm not trying to suggest that formally recognized or publicly visible ministries are more important than the less visible informal ministries that are also taking place among us. I'm simply calling attention to the, the, the more visible ministries at the moment because they are an important part of congregational life. And it is not good when the bulk of those ministries rest on the shoulder of the pastor only or the elders only. Yes, we, we do want the pastor and the elders to gladly assume responsibility for the overall teaching and shepherding and directing of the flock. But we transparently do not want the pastor and elders to be doing everything. And in this regard, I, I believe that South Paris Baptist Church is wonderfully blessed. As far as I can tell, based on the last 49 months, you do not want me to do everything. And I'm very glad about that because God hasn't called me to do everything. I don't want to do everything. Charlotta doesn't want me to do everything. And I wouldn't do a good job anyway. The church family as a whole is called and equipped to do many things. Pastors are only called to do a few things well. And you seem, and you seem content for me to set my mind to do those few things and try to do them well. And you may not realize how important this shared outlook is. It goes a long way in, in preventing pastoral burnout and in growing a church-wide ministry that flourishes over the long haul. One of the important factors that inclined my heart toward South Paris Baptist Church back in 2017 is the fact that this church is led by a team of elders. And after I met with them and asked them about a dozen questions on July 5th, 2017 in the lower vestry I had the sense that these were men I could work with and the subsequent four plus years have confirmed this initial sense these elders are actively involved in shouldering the responsibility of leadership which is a huge blessing for you all and also for me and beyond the elders Many of you have various kinds of leadership gifts. And you use those gifts to serve our church family. And many of you have various kinds of helping gifts. And you use those gifts to assist those with leadership gifts. And when you get a good mix of leaders and helpers blended together, you get ministry teams where team members labor faithfully side by side in order to serve our church family. And that's what we have here. The youth group leadership team, the praise team, the musicians, the nursery team, the communion setup teams, the supper team, the finance team, the trustees, the outreach team, the VBS team, the media team, the garments of praise team. I'm sorry if I missed anyone. And while we would certainly welcome 
Additional help in a few areas. The overall picture is that our church family is full of leaders and helpers working together as faithful stewards in God's household. And our church family is also blessed with many teachers, both elders and non-elders, being actively involved in teaching children, youth, and adults. So be encouraged. God's grace is evident in our devotion to His Word, in our demonstration of love for one another, and in our willingness to serve alongside others in order to carry out the practical ministries of the church. But even more fundamental than these evidences of grace is an even deeper grace that preserved us through a rough patch and then blessed us with a season of growth. And so I'm going to call this fourth area the Lord's compassion. It's the cream of the crop. COVID-19, in conjunction with the response of governmental and health authorities to it and the accompanying political and cultural divide portrayed in the news and played out on destabilizing social media platforms, all of that has put enormous pressure on individuals, on families, on institutions, including churches. And I am happy to say that I have no intent of analyzing this pressure in today's message. I am simply calling attention to the fact of it. If your eyes are open, you know what I'm talking about. In any case, I'm going back to 2020. Not gathering together for ten consecutive Sundays from March 22nd to May 24th of 2020 really did throw us for a loop. And when we started to gather again on May 31st of 2020, we were out of sorts. We were disconnected first from not gathering at all for 10 weeks, and second, we were disconnected because of the constraints that we had and we were meeting in two worship services and there were other limitations on congregational life that were hampering us at that time it was a very painful time we were caught off guard speaking for myself I felt ill-equipped foggy-headed and weak-spirited during some of those days in the moment it did not feel good at all and congregationally we were not in sync with one another how does the Lord view His people when they are stumbling down a thorny trail? How does the Lord regard His people when they are disoriented and don't know how to fix it? How does the Lord look upon us when we take some faulty steps in difficult times? Well, one important answer comes from Psalm 103 beginning in verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. For He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. 
As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him. And His righteousness to children's children, to those who keep His covenant and remember to do His commandments. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom rules over all. Why have we experienced such such blessing and renewal and strengthening from the Lord in the past 17 months? When you consider that 18 to 20 months ago, back there in March to June of 2020, we were in such a weakened state. Why the undeserved blessing? Well, the answer is right there in Psalm 103. It's because of the Lord's mercy, grace, compassion, and steadfast love. And as I think back on those difficult days, from my vantage point, if just a few things had gone differently, our congregation might have slipped into survival mode. But God did not abandon us to our weaknesses. Instead, He held on to us and renewed our vitality. And I have no doubt that the Lord was doing many things in those days to bring about our renewal as a congregation. But here's one tidbit from my own experience. I was preparing a sermon for June the 21st of 2020. And as of that Thursday afternoon, June the 18th, I had a manuscript of about eight and a half pages. But either that evening or the next evening, I was, I was talking with Charlotta and she was sharing with me about a recent message that Pastor Tony Evans down in Texas had, had preached. And I, I, I immediately knew that the sermon that I had prepared up to that point of the week had to be shelved. It just it wasn't it wasn't the right word for the right for, for the for the for the moment that we were in. And so I so I scrapped it and started from scratch. And that's that's what led to that sermon entitled Wake Up that I preached on June twenty first. That was one of the things that the Lord used to facilitate renewal within our congregation. In fact, the Lord was awakening me and strengthening me in those days. And Lord willing, I will never forget the formative lessons that He impressed upon me at that time. As for our congregation as a whole, there was a great release and refreshment that began to take place in the early summer of 2020. We had important family meetings on June 28th and July 12th. We also had a special evening of worship on Wednesday, July 8th, 2020. Do you remember that? There were about 50 of us gathered in the sanctuary and the praise team led us in singing about 19 songs. We were making up for lost time. On July 19th, 2020, we returned to having just one worship service. And that, that first one was a special service of repentance. And shortly thereafter, we, we turned the overflow room into the health conscious room. And that served a gracious and unifying purpose in our congregation for a season. Our, 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 uh, the length of our worship service got longer 
involved more sharing and more singing. And through these and other things, the Lord renewed our spirits, energized our fellowship, and set the stage for receiving new people into our church family. Speaking of which, hasn't it been wonderful to see so many new faces over the past year and a half? Only, I think only about half of them are here uh, this, this morning. But, but by my count, over the past year and a half, we, we've had about, about a dozen families representing about 40 people who've become regular uh, 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 attendees here at South Paris Baptist Church, which is a huge blessing for, and has been a huge blessing for a small congregation like, like ours. And so, be encouraged that the Lord saw fit. Not because we deserve it, but because of His own unfailing love and because of His faithfulness to preserve His people, be encouraged that the Lord saw fit to revitalize us and bring us into a new season of fellowship, ministry, and worship. Growing in faith, increasing in love, laboring side by side in ministry will always be the fruit of the Lord's gracious presence in our midst. And the proper way to respond to the Lord's blessing is not to take His grace for granted and shift into autopilot. Doing that would make us woefully unprepared for the next big trial on the horizon, whatever that might be. Instead, the goodness of the Lord in our midst ought to make us more earnest in our pursuit of the Lord and make us more eager to guard and expand what He has graciously given. If the Lord gives us 50 talents to manage, then we want to be the sort of enterprising servants who leverage those 50 talents to get 50 more so that we can present a full hundred to the Lord when He returns. And when the Lord pours His grace, grace upon grace into our lap, it does not weigh us down. It stirs us up as the psalmist said, what shall I render to the Lord for all His benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all His people. Psalm 116. Verses 12 to 14. Next, I want to encourage us to grow in, in two particular areas. The particular areas that I am choosing to highlight are not necessarily the most important areas, but they are important and they happen to be on my mind. So here you go. The first, the first general area where I would like to see growth is in what we might call the nuts and bolts or the trellis. A number of years ago, two chaps wrote a book, a good book, entitled The Trellis and the Vine. Now, it's been a long time since I've read that book, but the basic idea is that in terms of the metaphor, you know, you have, you have the trellis that holds up the vine, but, but the the vine is, is really the important thing. You want, a, you want a healthy vine that is producing good fruit. And in this book, they were talking about how, how the, the vine is, is like the 
ministry of the Word, the task of making disciples, where we're building each other up and encouraging one to follow, encouraging each other to follow Jesus together. That's, that's life in the vine. That's vine work. That's the really important work that the Lord calls us to do and where to bear fruit. The trellis, in one sense, is less important than the vine, but it is critical to the success of the vine. The, the, the trellis plays an essential role in supporting and holding up the vine. Sometimes, churches forget their primary calling to vine work and they become preoccupied with trellis work, with organizational management, building maintenance, leadership flow charts, endless committees, financial statistics, and what you get is an impressive trellis for its own sake, but a very weak vine. What, what we want is an adequate trellis that is able to support the growth and development of the vine, but with emphasis, the emphasis falling on the fruitfulness of the vine. Does that make sense? Jesus didn't call us to go into all the world and make great organizational systems. He called us to go into the world to make disciples. So, the organizational nuts and bolts are important, but they're important only insofar as they actually support, hold up, facilitate, and promote the work and the life and the mission of the vine. So with that in mind, and very briefly, we, we would do well to strengthen or tighten up the trellis in a few areas, and I'm just going to mention them very briefly to you. First, we would do well to bring some of the newer people who have come here into formal church membership, not because doing so is absolutely necessary, but because it would help us function cohesively as a body of believers. Second, the elders would be very happy to welcome one or two or three additional men to join us on the elder team. And in fact, we are actively pursuing that at this very moment. Third, a few of our ministry teams, finance, media, outreach, trustees, would each benefit from having additional participants. And we do not want to pressure people to get into such roles. But perhaps the Lord would give you a freeing disposition and a desire to serve in one of those areas. Fourth, the elders are also agreed to be more deliberate about developing home groups in, in the year ahead. We started home groups about 15 months ago and various groups have had, had, had different experiences. But to date, we've really kind of let things develop very informally and in a grassroots way, which has been very helpful to me, by the way, to, to get 15, uh, 12 to 15 months of just practical experience with, uh, with, with the home group that I'm in, which has been a real uh, blessing. But what we want to do is we want to be more, more intentional about, about coaching and equipping uh, leaders so that they can uh, strengthen their home group or develop new ones. So those are some of the nuts and bolts where we want to see growth in 2022. But of course, the purpose of trellis work is to support vine work. And the other area and more important area where I want to encourage us to grow is directly related to the work of the vine. As a congregation, we must be resolved to face 
outward in order to proclaim the Gospel and make new disciples among the people who are currently outside of the church. When the church gathers together for fellowship and for worship, our focus is rightly on the Lord and on His Word and on being edified and strengthened as a body of believers. And when we gather together in ministry teams or small groups, rightly do we make an effort to love one another and serve one another. But the, but the, the call of Jesus upon us is that our life together, our fellowship with each other, the strength that we have in the Lord, our love for one another would, would, would overflow, as it were, and go outward in order to proclaim the Gospel and make new disciples. So consider this smattering of biblical instructions. You are the salt of the earth, Matthew 5.13. You are the light of the world, Matthew 5.14. Go, therefore, and make disciples, Matthew 28.19. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone, 1 Thessalonians 5.15. Show perfect, perfect courtesy toward all people, Titus 3.2 In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. 1 Peter 3.15 Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Luke 6.27-28 and 28. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind and ungrateful to the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Luke 6, 35 and 36. I would say that over the past two years, the Lord has stabilized and strengthened our fellowship. And now is a good time to remember that one of the purposes that the Lord has for a stabilized and strengthened body of believers is for us to shine as lights in the world. Philippians 2.15 Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Colossians 4, 5, and 6. Of course, there is no substitute for each of us to faithfully represent Jesus within our sphere of relationships, in our neighborhood, in our workplace, in our connections within the community. It is also important that we as a church family be hospitable to outsiders. The recent Christmas Eve social and Christmas Eve service was a, was a great example of opening up our space and inviting others in. It was, it was great to have Aaron and Carlin's neighbor and to have a couple of Derek's co-workers among, among a number of guests who were with us on Christmas Eve. We want to be open-hearted. Following our Savior's instructions Let's set our mind as individuals, as households, as a church family. Let's set our mind to do what Jesus told us to do. To demonstrate love to and do good to and speak graciously to people who are lost even if they are actively opposed to us. In fact, our love for one another as fellow Christians is actually supposed to be a testimony to unbelievers as Jesus taught us in John 13 and John 
17. And we, we, we want to show people the, the reality and the power and the grace of Christ by the way that we treat one another as fellow believers. And we want to be outward facing and open hearted so that unbelievers actually get to catch something of our life together. And then not only do we show them the reality of Christ, but we tell them the reality of Christ and we proclaim the Gospel and declare God's grace to them. South Paris Baptist Church, there is a lot of discouragement out there in the world. A lot of heartache. A lot of division. A lot of frustration. A lot of distraction. A lot of relational fracturing. A lot of idols. A lot of mental and emotional instability. A lot of poverty, both economic and spiritual. And government and big tech feed a lot of interest and excitement into people's lives. Have you noticed? But they do not carry truth to the hearts of men. Our job is to be heralds of good news so that thirsty souls can discover the satisfaction that is found in Christ alone. Like cold water to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. Proverbs 25.25 I wonder how many people out there are like the man who messaged us through Facebook in late November and early December. He initially messaged, Hi, I am looking for baptism for my family and I. In his second message, he wrote, We've been searching high and low for a church, especially now. I feel it's important for not just us, but, but our children. Thank you for getting back to me. I'm very busy, but not too busy to meet to talk. Let me know how we can make that happen. Later, he replied to specific suggestions about when to meet by saying, I'm sorry, I'm just so busy all day, every day with my kiddos and work at home. Let me think about it and I'll get back to you. Thank you so much. I wonder how many people out there are in the same boat as this man. Thirsty, but so busy. Interested, but still disconnected. Might the Lord grant us grace to make disciples of such people and fold them into our fellowship. How might the Father want to display the glory of His Son through us, through our words and deeds in 2022? Let's find out. Finally, I want to remind us to keep first things first. Politically and culturally, our country is very divided. Much of what goes on, in fact, is way off the rails of sanity and wisdom. In such a context, it is tempting to turn to a steady stream of cultural commentary or to sound off on our own opinions or to put our hope in political solutions. After all, we've got the good old midterms coming up in November. Can't you wait? But remember this, there are no good political solutions for the idolatry, insanity, immorality, and bitter division that characterize our nation. We are like foolish children who continually miss the point. The prophet Hosea did not miss the point when he said, or the Lord said through him, Hosea 4, 1-3, Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a 
controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore the land mourns and all who dwell in it languish. And also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and even the fish of the sea are taken away. When a nation turns away from the knowledge of God, it will suffer. But the suffering nation will give the appearance of wisdom by proposing economic, environmental, and social solutions to all of the problems. But the problems are not going away. If we really cared about the preservation of our environment, then we would be earnest about repenting for all the bloodshed, immorality, and materialism of which we are guilty. And we should seek to learn what it means to walk with God in steadfast love and faithfulness. That would be something. But instead, we throw band-aids at climate change, the poor environment in Hosea 4.3, forgetting the source of the trouble. And we ignore the underlying patterns of sin that are the actual source of our troubles. Brothers and sisters, do not be fooled. Don't let the world set your agenda. Assume that the world's talking points should not be your talking points. Assume that. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Romans 12.2 Don't let your own habit for busyness keep you from what is most important. And what is most important? Turn to the letter of Jude. Really, you can really turn there. Turn to the letter of Jude. I know, that, that was overdramatic. I'm sorry. This will be about maybe one of the shortest expositions you'll ever hear from me. Turn to Jude. I want to read verses 20 and 21. This is how we're going to close. Jude has no chapters, just verses. And so I'm going to read verses 20 and 21. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. If you read through the entire letter of Jude, you will notice that he warns about false teachers and destructive influencers within the church. Sinister people creep in unawares and they distort the message of God's grace and injure the church. But zoom in. If you zoom in on the verses immediately preceding and following verses 20 and 21, a clear picture emerges. In verse 18, Jude refers to scoffers following their own ungodly passions. And then he says, it is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. These are troublemakers within God's household, although the same sort of people are out there in the world at large. And then in verses 22 and 23, Jude refers to weak and doubting and misguided and endangered people within the Christian community who need to be rescued. In between the ravenous wolves of verse 18 and the straying sheep of verses 22 and 23, Jude calls upon ordinary believers to hit the sweet spot and stay there in verses 20 and 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God. That is the primary command of verses 20 and 21. And the other three activities that Jude mentions 
tell us how to keep ourselves in, in the love of God. Take special note that Jude does not tell us to figure out how to get into the sphere of God's love. For true believers, getting into the sphere of God's love has already happened as a result of God's grace. God has done it. According to Jude verse 1, we are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. The Father dearly loves the children that He has redeemed. And our loving Father multiplies mercy, peace, and love to us. Verse 2. Furthermore, God is the One who keeps us as both verse 1 and verse 24 show us. So our God and Father has initiated, brought about, and is actively sustaining our fellowship with Him. We can rest in His steadfast love and in His keeping power. And when you rightly understand these things, they do not turn you into a couch potato. If you can understand that a husband's faithful and resolute love for his wife might awaken in his wife a desire to be similarly devoted and unwavering in her love for him, then you can understand what Jude is talking about. Knowing that God will be gracious to us until the very end makes us want to proactively remain within the sphere of God's grace. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep your hearts sensible of His love, His faithfulness, His blood-bought covenant, His utterly reliable promises. Keep your hearts warm and tender and obedient to the Lord your God. And how do you do that? Jude highlights three activities that will help to keep us in the love of God. The first activity, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Verse 20, Feast on the faithful words of God. Get anchored and stay anchored in sound doctrine. Be firmly established in the truth of the Gospel. Keep the glory of the cross always before you. The second activity, praying in the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, God doesn't need our prayers, but He wants our hearts, our trust, our longings, our burdens, our partnership, our worship. God wants our fellowship with Him to be not a calculated theological affirmation, but a living reality. He speaks to us. That's why we build ourselves up in our most holy faith. God's scriptural communication to us. And then God invites us to communicate back to Him in the form of prayer. Not prayer formalities. Not prayer techniques. Not cool prayer apps. Not vain repetitions. Not heartless multiplication of words and lists. But prayer that is the expression of spiritual vitality that is actually enlivened and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Prayer that is like beloved children speaking transparently and eagerly to a Father who loves them deeply. The first activity involves fellowship in the Word. The second activity fellowship in prayer, and the third activity, fellowship in hope. Verse 21, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. This is our confident expectation, brothers and sisters, 
that when Jesus is coming, that Jesus is coming back, and when he does come back, he's going to pour out a superabundance of life-giving mercy on everyone who is waiting eagerly for him. What are we waiting for? We may desire any number of modest improvements to this broken world of ours, but deep down, that's not what we're waiting for. We're waiting for Him. It is His grace, His mercy, His life shared freely with us that will bring everything to its appointed and glorious consummation in that day. Brothers and sisters, in these ways, keep yourselves in the love of God. This instruction is not to believers as isolated individuals, but to believers in community with one another. Building ourselves up together. Studying the Word together. Praying together. Seeking God's face together. Waiting together. Reminding each other of our blessed hope in Jesus. We thereby together keep ourselves in the love of God knowing that we are securely loved in Him and safely kept in His arms. South Paris Baptist Church, the lost and weary sinners in the Oxford Hills don't need a church that has creative marketing strategies and that mimics the wisdom of the world. The world's wisdom is a dead end. What those in darkness need is the light of Jesus Christ that shines through faithful believers who are striving to obey Jude's no-nonsense instruction. After all, God delights to display the glory of His Son through ordinary believers who take Him at His Word. Through ordinary jars of clay. Weak vessels that, treasure, that, 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 that carry the treasure of the Gospel to a broken world. That is what we must be about in the year 2022. Let's pray. Father, I pray that You would take these reflections and the Scriptures that we have pondered and that You would fill us up and strengthen us and transform us and pour us out in mission to the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.